Uh, my name is Yumiko Nakagawa, one of the pastors here at Wellspring. I'm so glad that I got to worship with you today, especially because I was kind of in and out this past last few weeks. Um, first, it was because of the uh, midwinter, which is our denomination's annual conference for pastors. I came back. My husband, Jared, and I both got flu. We got better. And after a couple days that so we got better, Jared got sick again. I know. So we actually ended up spending a good chunk of last Sunday at ER. We went in way before the game begins. We were there after the game ended. Um, so we were there for a long time. And the whole time we were there, right, um, Jared had a neighbor. So, you know, ER is Jared's bed, my chair that I was sitting, and then there's a curtain and there was a neighbor and you, know, you can't see anything because there's a curtain in, but you can hear everything that's going on at the next bed um, especially because the curtain is really thin and especially because this uh, poor person our neighbor he needed to be suctioned almost like every 10 minutes and it's just every 10 minutes family member goes, oh my gosh, she needs suction again. And a couple nurses rushes in and all this things happening. And then I think you guys know what I'm talking about. When people get suctioned, I think he had a tube already, but has this horrible sound of horrible, painful, uncomfortable sound. Something's being suctioned, forced out of his throat. And you just hear the sound. Nurse keeps saying, oh, that's okay, Mr. So-and-so. I know it's painful. I know it's uncomfortable. I'm so sorry, but I had to do this. So you keep hearing that. And he had this uncomfortable sound right behind me, like right here, right? And every 10 minutes. So after, you know, first hour or so, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, poor guy. He must be so tired. But when that happens for over hours, couple hours, and more than a couple hours, every 10 minutes, right behind my neck, eventually I'm thinking, oh my gosh, so much is happening in here. But, you know, anyway, we had to wait for a long time, but the, you know, we had to wait for a long time and this sound was going on constantly. But finally we got to go home, me and Jerry got to go home before this neighbor was able to go home. So yay for us. I don't know what happened to them. And after a few days, Jared and I were talking about our ER experience. And I was asking him, hey, do you remember the guy who was next to us that who needed to be suctioned every 10 minutes? And he goes, oh yeah, I remember him because I was praying for him. Here is my husband who was miserable for the whole time he was at an ER and actually a whole week. And then on Sunday, he got so bad that his symptoms got so bad that we had to take him to the hospital. So he was exhausted. He's sick. He's tired. No energy. He couldn't even speak to me very much for the whole day. But here on this bed, for so many hours, he's lying, doesn't know what he's going through, doesn't know what's happening to him. He was still praying for somebody he never met. And here I am, sitting comfortably at a chair with my snack and a reading material, perfectly healthy, just being bored, and I startled every 10 minutes. Didn't even occur to me once to pray for this poor man. 
you can laugh about me. That's okay. I know how um, heartless I am. <laughs> but this last Sunday event really revealed who we are to me. Right, Jared is this, if you never met him, uh, but if you met him, you know, he's a really compassionate person. You know, he's very um, slow to get annoyed. He actually rarely get annoyed at people or things or at me, which says a lot. Um, he's really good when somebody, even something is wrong, right? His first response is to pray for them and care for others. But me, if you have spent enough time with me, you know this, that's true. Me, I'm very quick to get annoyed at people or things. And prayer is really slow to come. It's shocking. Must be shocking to hear from a pastor, but there is God's grace in me standing in front of you. And God, you know, gifted me with many wonderful things. I'm grateful for that. But compassion is definitely not one of them. So while we really appreciate your prayer for Jared, for him to get better, um, I think actually it turns out that I may need more prayer than him for cure of my deficiency of my compassion. So feel free to pray for that. <laughs> I'm sure Jared is praying. Um, joking aside, sometimes, right, an event or anything that happens in our lives reveals so much about people who are involved. And in this past season, in this season of Epiphany, we have read many stories about Jesus, reveal who Jesus is. To, and today, to wrap up this season, we will read uh, from the Gospel of Matthew 17, 1 through 9. And now, this is the time I'm going to ask Pat Silken to come up and read the passage. And while he's going to read this passage, uh, as he's making his way, take your time, sir. And while listening to Pat, I know it's hard not to get distracted. Look at him. He like dressed up, ready to read. But uh, while, um, while you're listening to him, please pay attention to the questions that may come up to your mind as you listen to him read. And if there's any questions that come up to your mind reading this passage, feel free to jot it down, your phone, sermon notes, your journal. Pat, please. Thank you. Good morning. Hear God's word. After six days, Jesus took him with him, Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. 
As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Do not, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to our Lord. Thank you so much, Pat. What do you think about Pat's reading or just the text? <laughs> I was asking about the text, actually. Um, what were the questions that came to your mind? If you're watching online, I think you can comment. You can type in a comment to share your questions. I'm not going to ask you to yell out your questions. And uh, Hopefully, there are some questions came to your mind. For me, for example, why was Moses and Elijah there? And for some of you, you may be thinking, okay, I remember Moses. Which one was Elijah? Was that different from Elisha? That's a very valid question. They have very confusing name. Um, why did Jesus change his appearance? What does he mean he was transfigured? What were Moses, Elijah, and Jesus talking about? And what did Peter mean when he said what he said? Shelters, what, 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 is, what is he talking about? And these are the, just a few questions, but I think there are many questions that people will have when they read this passage. And actually, there are many possible answers to those questions. There are a lot. But what we know is, uh, we want to focus on what we know first. So what we know for sure is this. We know, according to what's written, Jesus transformed his appearance, according to verse 2. We know Moses and Elijah appeared, according to verse 3. We know Peter, James, and John witnessed the whole event, according to verse 1. We know Peter made a comment, said something, verse 4. We know God directly spoke to the disciples, according to verse 5. Here's what we know. We know Jesus transformed his appearance. Moses and Elijah appeared, and Peter, James, and John witnessed the whole thing. We know Peter made a comment. We know God directly spoke to the disciples. This is what's written in the text. So that's what happened. That we know. But what we don't know for sure is what exactly this whole event means. What exactly did the whole event reveal to the disciples? What did this whole experience mean to the disciples? Many people read this scripture and think that disciples at the scene saw what happened, and their perception of Jesus was transformed. Jesus is just looking like, Jesus looking just like Moses and Elijah, whose lives and death gave an idea, they were the prototype, they gave an idea of what is coming Messiah would look like to the people who live at that time. And here's Jesus looking like Moses and Elijah, talking with them. Jesus is not just a great teacher. Jesus is not just an amazing person, does amazing things. Jesus is the Messiah. 
That's one way to read this passage, and there are a few other ways to interpret the whole event. Some scholars actually、uh, question how much this, these three disciples understood what's going on、um, in front of them. So we can't say for sure what exactly this event revealed to the disciples at that moment. But what we know. Is what was unfolding in front of their eyes was so powerful. The move all three disciples tremendously. It moved Peter so much that he couldn't help but to say something. And we don't know again why Peter said what he said and what he said what he meant by what he said. We also don't know what God thought of Peter's comment. What Jesus thought of his comment, but what we know is Peter had to say something, had the strong urge to do something because what he witnessed was so powerful. Maybe for Peter, it was the experience that changed his perception of Jesus forever, or maybe he was just so excited that something extraordinary is happening. So he didn't know why it was, but he was just out of excitement. He had to say something. We don't know, but whatever the reason is, what he saw compelled him to respond. What he saw was so powerful. So whatever the reasons, we don't know, but it it compelled him to respond. He couldn't help but to say something. But what about us? Does this passage? When Pat read for us, did it move us in a way it moved Peter? Did that make us want to say something? Because this is so amazing, and Pat did a great job of really reading it and inviting us to what was happening. Did that passage make us look Jesus differently? Does it compel us to respond? I don't know about you, but my honest answer for me is no. And I don't think I'm alone because I actually have never met anyone who decided to become a Christian reading this passage or mention this as oh, this passage really changed my my life. I could be wrong. I haven't met all the Christians out there, so maybe if you're one of them who's deeply impacted by this passage, I'll love to hear your、um, testimony. But that doesn't mean the Bible has no power over, no, no impact in our lives, right? Because I have heard of plenty of people sharing that they were moved by other parts of the Bible, such as Jesus on the cross, which is recorded in ten chapters after this chapter at the same book of Matthew in chapter twenty-seven. And in today's passage. On the mountain top, when Jesus was there, Jesus' face was shining like the sun. His clothes as white. But when you read in the book of Matthew, in chapter twenty-seven, on the hills of Golgotha, on the cross, Jesus' face was not shining like the sun. Jesus' face was actually covered with dust, sweat, blood. 
his clothes wasn't as shining like white because all his clothes were taken away by the soldiers. On the mountaintop, it was the two giants of the Israel. Great teacher, great leader, great prophet, Moses and Elijah standing by, right by Jesus, talking with Jesus. But on the hills of Golgotha, on the cross, right by Jesus, was a two nameless thief that was hanged on a cross, shouting blasphemies at Jesus. On the mountaintop, God spoke and God said, This is my dear son. I am delighted with him. Listen to him. Pay attention to him. But on the hills of Golgotha, on the cross, God said nothing. And it is this Jesus that moves us. It is in this Jesus many of us see that God loves us so deeply. It is this Jesus that reveals who our Messiah is. And to many of us, our response to the epiphany is to call this Jesus our Messiah, our Savior, our Lord. But that wasn't the case for Peter. Peter, who saw Jesus on the mountaintop, see, saw his glory and power and holiness and had to say something. He was so compelled seeing this Jesus on the mountaintop. The same Peter had nothing to say to Jesus on the cross. Peter wasn't even there. And I wonder, in the same way, for many of us, we don't know how to respond or what to think of Jesus on the mountaintop. We don't know what to say to Jesus, who was with Moses and Elijah, his face shining white, shining like the sun, his clothes white. You see, but both events reveal the same truth. Both events reveal that Jesus is the Messiah. But what kind of Messiah was Jesus? I think to answer the question, we actually need both Jesus on the mountaintop and Jesus on the cross. In the past few weeks, through the epiphanies of Jesus, we got to learn about Jesus. And as much as this season revealed who Jesus is, perhaps this season also gives us an epiphany, another epiphany, epiphany about us. 
I think what this text, reading this text side by side with the later part of Matthew reveal is we as humans, whether that's disciples or us who live in today's modern world, our knowledge of God is limited. I mean, if you think about it, right? If you think about those three disciples who are on a mountaintop, who knew Jesus personally, had the best ideal exposure to God, they were with the two great prophets and leader of Israel history. Jesus was there, and they knew Jesus intimately, personally, and they knew Jesus in human flesh, but also they got to see Jesus' divine nature. And not only that, God spoke directly to the disciples, which doesn't happen every day in New Testament. Not even Old Testament, only happened to very few people. And Jesus also spoke to them. That's so much exposure, so much ways that you get to know God. And yet, and yet their understanding of Jesus was still limited. They still had to see Jesus on the cross to know what kind of Messiah Jesus was. And I think that's maybe true for some of us people who live here, especially who live today, and especially Christian today, we have a benefit of the Bible. And yet, and then we do see Jesus on the cross very clearly. And yet, I think many of us still have a lot to learn about Jesus' power, holiness, and glory revealed on the mountaintop. Perhaps only when we fully appreciate what happened on the mountaintop, our understanding of Messiah on the cross will be complete. Our knowledge of God is limited. So as we begin this um, Lenten season this Wednesday, as we enter in, I'd like us to enter this new season with a sense of humility. Humility to say, we don't know everything. We also don't know what we don't know. Humility to pause and think, maybe there's more to it than we think. But this is not a type of humility that discourages us or makes us feel ashamed. I only know a little bit about God. It is a hopeful humility that says there's so much more we can learn about Jesus. It is not limiting humility to say, oh, there's no way we can know everything about God, so why try? But it is a hopeful humility that excites us, brings us excitement that, oh, there's so much we can grow in our faith, in our knowledge of God. The sky is the limit. And for me, my personal application of this hopeful humility is how is about how I think of church. At the last call, at the place that I last served as a full-time pastor, I was very dedicated to love and care and to build up the church. 
my life is all about how do we welcome people in our church, how we encourage congregation to be a part of small groups. I was involved in every aspect of church operation, cared about church events, Sunday program, everything and anything for church. I was so happy to serve, to do that, because I firmly believe, believed that the church is where people meet God and grow in love for God. But recently, I've started to think maybe, maybe there's more to it than I know. Maybe church as we know, Sunday worship with many programs may not be the only place people meet God, learn about God, and follow God. I started to notice this when I spent one year serving as a pastor in a church in Tokyo a few years ago. When my friends found out I'm a Christian pastor now, a lot of my friends from childhood and high school and college asked me about God, and those are the people who are not Christians by any means, and they ask about God, Jesus, and a faith. They have a lot of great questions. Their questions were genuine, and many of them are genuinely curious, and some of them actually wanted to know God deeply and wanted to believe in God that I believe. I had so many good conversations with those friends, sometimes even with a stranger who found out I'm a Christian. And at the end of the conversation, I usually invite them, hey, do you want to come to church? I'm preaching next Sunday, or do you want to join a small group? Do you want to come to church event? And almost all the people's response were more or less like, oh, no, no, no. I want to learn about God. And I want to learn about God from God. I want to learn real God. I don't need to do all the other stuff. I just want God. And even in this country, People who identify themselves spiritual are on the rise. But the attendance and membership of the church is steadily declining. And there are a growing number of Christians who profess and practice their sincere faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior and the Lord. But they do not affiliate with any church. And there's so much that people are trying to figure out what is happening, why are people are feeling this way, and there's so much we don't know about them. Is their faith real? Is their interest real? You might have a question about just the two stories that I just shared. But there's one thing we know for sure. That is, there are groups of people in this country and in other parts of the world who seek God earnestly, but don't see church as the primary place for them to meet and learn about God. And there are people out there who may never set foot in a church, a small group, or church event, and have a burning desire to know God, love God, and follow God. And that's the people I feel called to serve. 
Here at a Wellspring, we have three great pastors. We have Pastor Rebecca, Pastor Cheryl, Pastor Dan, who cares deeply about each one of you, even if you just walk in today as a guest, whether you've been a longtime member, they care about you deeply. They love you, and they are called to serve you. And with the same zeal and conviction, I am called to serve people who are not here today. And my hope is not only I get to serve people who are not here alone, but my hope is that I get to serve the people who are not here with you. And that's why my, one of my job responsibility is here is what's called Greenhouse Ministry, which is kind of a made-up name that we just gave so that it's easy to refer to what I'm doing. It's hard to explain the whole thing. But it's basically, in essence, it is a ministry that we, we want to pay attention to what God is doing outside the church framework. We want to pay attention, what can we do to serve the people who are outside the church, who are not part of church framework? People out there who are seeking God. And we want to find out, what can we do to be part of God's work that's already happening outside church that we know? Now, one disclaimer is, as much as I'm excited about this ministry, I actually don't know what exactly looks like this greenhouse ministry is. If you ask me, hey, so what does it mean for you to serve people who are not here today? I don't know. I've been racking my brain, talk to my friends who do this in mainland. I still don't know. I don't, I don't have a clear picture I can present ministry plans for you. But... I know I'm called to serve them, and I know that I need your help. So I'm going to end this time with the invitations for you. One, in three months, uh, and which you can watch online, so if you're just visiting us, you can check back in three months and hear about this too. But in three months, I'm going to invite entire congregation to participate in a project as a part of this ministry. So stay tuned for that. Meanwhile, I really, really would like you to pray. I really, really would like you to pray for me for an epiphany that God will reveal what that looks like for us wellspring to serve people who are not here today. And this is not just, oh, pray for me because there's nothing else you can do, but it's actually, I really need, I'm at the point I need a prayer. I've done a research, I've talked to people, I try a few things, it's not, I, I need a prayer, so please do pray. <laughs> Um, and lastly, I want to invite you, if any of this today's message piqued your interest, or you may have some comments and questions, please um, contact me. I arrange my day job so that I have more, more time to work on this ministry, and I get to sit down and talk to you. I process verbally, so it's actually be really a tremendous help. If you have a question, comments, conversation you want to have about what I just shared, so please uh, consider that as you do me a favor and connect with me so we can talk about it. And lastly, a reminder, the, as um, Pastor Rebecca invited us, there's an Ash Wednesday service this coming Wednesday. So wherever you are, uh, whether at home, back home, here, uh, or any other church, I invite you to enter into the season of Lent with, this, with the heart of humility.